0: Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Please join with us as we look into God's word with Pastor Mike Byrd. So we're gonna be here in Ephesians 6 and we're gonna be looking at this last passage here, this last part of uh, what God has to say Uh, on Paul as he's writing, summing everything up uh, out of the book of Ephesians. And he's going to finish this talking about spiritual warfare. And uh, it seems seems to me, uh, even now today, that there are many Christians that are defeated in their Christian lives primarily because they are not seriously engaged in the warfare to which they've been called to. That is part of the Christian life, is uh, engaging in spiritual warfare. Um, There's very popular teachings today that kind of only tell half of the gospel, meaning that, uh, you know, Jesus is going to give you abundant life, Jesus is going to give you peace, Jesus is going to give you this, Jesus is going to give you that, but they do not give you the other part of the gospel, and that is the fact that in this world, uh, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution or in the fact that uh, uh, in this world, Jesus said that I'm going to be sending you out as sheep among wolves. Uh, So that's the other part of the gospel. And uh, the idea of being engaged in spiritual warfare is a reality that every believer must face, because if we go on through life and never endure... uh, persecution or enduring uh, difficult times, and we don't understand what what's happening. We'll look at our life and we'll be like, why is God doing this to me? I thought I was supposed to just have peace and my life was supposed to be great and everything was supposed to be wonderful. Uh, but in reality, it is a uh, thing that we must endure through and that is uh, spiritual warfare. Uh, J.C. Ryle, a, a pastor of the 19th century, wrote this. He said, the saddest symptom about many so-called Christians is the utter absence of of anything like conflict and fight in their Christianity. He went on to say that they go through the motions of attending religious services each week, but then he added, but of the great spiritual warfare, its watchings and strugglings, its agonies, its anxieties, its battles and contests, of all this they appear to know nothing at all. And this was a guy that was writing in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. And you think about our world today as Christianity, uh, when we face difficulties and trials in life, uh, we kind of seem them as being like, oh, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I was supposed to be going through in life. And so here in Ephesians, Paul is, has shown us of, of everything, of how all of this is coming together it's culminating to an end he's he's been spending time talking about the fact that who we are in Christ and how we are supposed to live out the practical side of who we are in Christ and he says finally finally uh, this is what i want you to know that everything that you are in Christ how you live your life for Christ you are going to endure spiritual warfare so be ready and make preparations for that So this is what I want you to take away with you today. Be strong in the Lord and use his armor so you can stand against the enemy. Be strong in the Lord and use his armor so you can stand against the enemy. Let's take note here of a couple things here. First, number one, I am weak and need his strength and his might. Notice here Ephesians 6.10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul is basically saying, I want to conclude by explaining to you the serious conflict in which your faith necessarily engages you. Notice these words about being being strong and strength. Paul uses this idea throughout Ephesians about his strength and being strong in the Lord. And he's really trying to hammer something home to us. Listen to Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand and in the heavenly places. Ephesians 3.16, Paul prays that God would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So what do these verses teach us? Well, they're teaching us that we are not strong in of ourselves. Our strength comes from the Lord. But there's also a very active part of our faith in finding our strength in the Lord, meaning we must take the initiative to be strong in the Lord. I believe this is the best illustrated for us in the life of David. If you remember reading in uh, 1 Samuel, you can read about it later if you want to. But 1 Samuel chapter 29 and 30, David is on the run from uh, from Saul. He's hiding. He's, He's hiding for his life. Saul is hunting him down like a dog. And David had wrongly allied himself with the Philistine king trying to seek protection from Saul. He figures, if I could just get with, the, with this Philistine king, hey, I'll find, have some protection from Saul. And so David aligns himself and he goes into battle against Saul and the forces of Is- Israel. And God intervenes in all of this. David and his men were sent home from the battle and after they when they arrive back home after David and his men arrive back home they find their city burned with fire their wives their children and their possessions they were taken captive by the Amalekites. And at that point David's men were very very upset at what had happened and in fact they were embittered against David and it says that they took up stones wanting to stone him. And can you imagine what a, what a great discouragement and horrible time that David found himself in? He's in this place, his own men wanna kill him. Their, their city is completely burned. Their houses, their possessions all gone. Their wives and children been taken captive and they wanna kill him. But then there's a turnaround in the passage because we find in 1 Samuel 30 verse six, it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What a dramatic turnaround. In the face of adversity, in the face of of great difficulty, David finds strength in God. And he turns the whole situation around in his life. David was almost down for the count. God's promise to make David a king to rule and reign almost seemed not even possible. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. The Lord graciously directed David to pursue the raiders and recover all of their families and their goods. And did you know that same strength is available for you and for me? But it's his strength. It's not our strength. It's his. You may be at your lowest point. You may be at your uh, time where you're the most discouraged in life. It may seem that God's promises are not true. But no matter how much things may seem to get off base and how horrible and difficult the circumstances may be in your life, you can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You can strengthen yourself in the Lord, your God. How? Well, here's just a couple ways how. First of all, notice the phrase in the Lord. This is really the heart of the matter, is it not? in the Lord. What does it mean to be in the Lord? This is Paul's whole point in the first two chapters of Ephesians. He writes in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So to be in the Lord means that he has saved you from God's judgment by his grace alone. It means that you have trusted in Christ for your soul justification, not of your works, not of baptism, not of church attendance, not of any type of religious type of doings. You have trusted in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. All throughout Ephesians, Paul uses the expressions in Christ or in him. We must be in Christ if we are to have access to his strength. Secondly, don't trust yourself. Boy, I have a hard time with this one. To be strong in the Lord, you must know that you are weak. This is so you will put all your confidence in Christ and not yourself. And I believe this is a continual, lifelong process that you and I are going through as the more and more we learn about the gospel, the more and more we learn about who Jesus is, what he did for us, how he saved us. In turn, it teaches us that we are not to put trust in ourselves. We cannot trust completely in Christ to save us until we come to some awareness that we are helplessly, hopelessly lost and unable to save ourselves by our own good works. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, we must see that we are convicted and condemned with the rope around our neck before we will weep for joy when Christ pardons us. So when you are made aware of your own weaknesses, then you will come to put your trust in him for strength. Jesus said it so well in John 15, 5. He said, for apart from me, help me finish it, you can do nothing. Paul had an amazing experience of being caught up in heaven. If you remember, he was caught up and it says that I was not lawful to utter the things that I saw. And to keep Paul from having a huge head or his head exploding uh, with pride about what has happened, Paul says that the Lord sent him a messenger of Satan to torment him. And the lesson that Paul learned was, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Is it not my pride and yours that blinds us to keep us trusting in ourselves? We are so prideful human beings. I'm a very prideful person and I trust in myself thinking that I can do this. I can do it myself. I don't need the Lord. I need just only me and me only. My pride blinds me to my true condition. It makes me think that I have some measure of strength in of myself to be able to go through the difficulty that I'm faced with. Pride makes us think that the longer that we are Christians, the stronger that we become. But we never become stronger in ourselves. Paul said, I strive, I strive, I strive, I strive. It's this idea of daily striving because we realize that he doesn't have strength in of himself. He needs the Lord. But we never become stronger in ourselves. In reality, the strong Christian is one who has come to see more and more of his own weakness and inclination to do evil and to sin. And when you realize that this is who I am, and you realize that I can sin, that I do sin, that I do fall short every single day, that is when I really need the Lord's strength because I can't do it of my own. So when we realize our own weaknesses, that awareness should drive us to depend upon the Lord for his strength. To be strong in the Lord, you must know your own weakness. Thirdly, you should familiarize yourself with the Lord's strength and might. From start to finish, the Bible talks about the Lord's strength. It talks about how strong God is and what he did. We see the power of his creation. We see how he overthrew uh, the Egyptian armies in the Red Sea. We see how God provided with his strength, how the, the Lord worked mightily in the people's lives all throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see God's strength and provision over and over and over and over. And you think about just even your own life providences, how God has provided strength for you to be able to make it through the difficult seasons in life. These are things that you should familiarize yourself with. On and on and on, we can go story after story how the Lord has provided his strength. In scripture, we see that the words, there is nothing too difficult for him is given to us over and over. Here are just a few of those references. Genesis 18, 14. Jeremiah 32, 17. Verse 27. Zechariah 8, 6. Matthew 19, 26. Luke 1:37, Romans 4, 21. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, there's not. So we have this great strength that is made available to us. And we just have to simply trust in the Lord's strength, not our own strength. Proverbs 18.10 declares, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. So to be strong in the Lord, you must know his strength in a practical way. Why? Because you have repeatedly taken refuge in him and seen his great deliverance in your life. And this is what Paul is trying to drive home. He's saying, this is who you are in Christ. This is how you live out your practical life in Christ all through Ephesians four, five and six. And he says, finally, if you're gonna live this way, expect to have difficulty in your life. And this is how you're gonna overcome it by finding strength in him and him alone. So I am weak and need his strength and his might. Here's the second thing. Paul says you need his armor to stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I love this word stand here in this passage because it's a key word that Paul uses not only here in verse 11, but also in verses 13 and 14. And the way Paul uses this word is in a military type of sense. He's talking about the fact of holding on to a position that is under attack. It implies the courage to hold your ground because of your allegiance to King Jesus. Even when everybody else is running away, you're going to stand and stand strong in his strength. Why? Because you're being attacked by the schemes of the devil. There's a lot going on in your life. Knowing that this is true about the Lord's strength that we're to trust in, we must also use his provided armor. This is interesting to dwell on because he doesn't ask, look at this. He says, put on the whole armor of God. He doesn't ask you to use your armor, nor does he say, go borrow somebody else's armor, your friend's armor. But he says, use the armor that God has already provided for you. I believe there's a lot of Christians that are so defeated in life because they will not use the tools that God has already given them and they're running around looking for something else. The Bible tells us that God has given us everything in this life that pertains to life and godliness. And so we are to use his armor that he has provided for us. Now notice how he provides it. He says, put on the whole armor of God. He provides it. But we must take the initiative to put it on. Later on, Paul was going to talk about how to use the armor specifically But there's a great principle in all of this. We must take the initiative to put on the armor and stand firm in the battle because we love Jesus. It's not a matter of saying, well, I'm just gonna let go and let God. Or saying, I'm just gonna grit my teeth and bear through this. We're not supposed to be passive about it. It's used in conjunction, God provides it, we take the initiative to put it on. It's not a, an occasional assistance from God. Rather, it's a blending of His power and our striving, as Paul puts it. Listen to Colossians 1:29, "For this purpose also I labor striving according to His power, which mightily works within me." Now notice the second part of this verse. Having the armor is foundational to being able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We need his strength and we need his armor in order to stand against the schemes of the devil. When I think of the armor for the Christian, I think of doctrine. I think of truth. Everyone likes a sword. But if you don't know how to use it or what its purpose is, you are not skilled or you're trained and you will get hurt. Strong Christians are doctrinally grounded in the truth of Scripture. Unless you know the word well, as Jesus did when he defeated Satan, you will not stand firm in the evil day. You got to know what the word says. You got to be a person who studies the word, who knows the word, so that way you can be able to stand. This word schemes here is a very interesting word. Paul uses it from time to time. In Ephesians 4.14, listen to how he uses it. So we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, other translations read doctrine, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. He also used it in 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So if you're ignorant of Satan's schemes, the devil will be able to take advantage of you. His schemes invariably use trickery and deception. How does Satan trick us? How How does he get us to follow for his schemes and his trickery? Well, here's just a few ways that I've seen through scripture. These are not uh, in a, in a complete in all of itself, but I believe Satan is using secular culture as for such as evolution and postmodernism modernism today. Uh, these types of things have, have crept into the church and it's okay to believe this, but if it doesn't line up with scripture, that's not truth. And Satan uses these types of things. You think about the culture that we live in. If we are going through the culture that we live in and we're taking in what culture is giving us, being tolerant of each other, just accepting things, where does that lead us? Following his schemes. He uses schemes to deceive people. And in this sense, he will use whatever is necessary to deceive and trick you. Another way that Satan uses schemes is he launches repeated attacks on the credibility of scripture, that we can't trust God's word, that it's just an old dusty book that we can't really believe. Um, he launches attacks on who God is, who Jesus is, what the gospel is. Satan lures us into sin by portraying it as being pleasurable, pleasurable. And you don't really need to confess it because we can have pleasure in it. He uses discouragement and pride and selfishness. He uses the love of money and lust and many other traps to lure us away from the Lord. And so if you're going to stand firm, if you have, been, if you have signed up for God's army... God says, I've given you the armor. You need to put your trust in my strength and my strength alone. You need to stand and know how Satan is going to attack. Another way Satan uses schemes is through the church, the body of Christ. Do you want Satan to have a foothold in this church? Do you want to let Satan come in? No, I don't either. And Satan will use the body of believers to attack. He does this by using other believers to bite and to devour one another. He does this by luring us into the idea that people who don't agree with us on their methods or their traditions, that we can't agree with them. And so we attack them. As people in God's army, we must hold firm to what scripture says teaches. We can't depart from that. But there are going to be people in our lives that may not do it exactly the way that we want it done. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, he talks about this in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Let's face it, all of us in here have little quirkinesses about us, right? Things that we do that are just weird, right? Families can be like that too. And so what does Paul say? He says, if it's not a doctrinal issue that you should be standing on, overlook it. Don't make it a huge deal. Don't make it such a deal that you have to feel like you have to separate from somebody. Did you know that in churches today, that only about 2% of churches that have splits are only over doctrinal issues. That means that 98% of the reason why people split from other churches is because they just cannot get along with each other. What a terrible testimony of God's army. And he tells us that we are supposed to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We don't allow him to attack us. We stand firm in all of that. Lastly, I want to encourage you as to practice these things biblically. In other words, put into practice what you believe. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Satan is on a war path, that he's on attack? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he comes and he attacks? If you believe that then you should put it into practice. If so, make it practical and apply what Paul is saying here. Test your armor by gaining some victories in real life situations. Resist temptation. Avoid Satan's traps. Get out of your comfort zone where you have to trust God. As Hebrews 5.14 states, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Or as James 1.22 puts it, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Make it practical, live it out. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of scripture. Father, I pray that we as believers, all of us, would use your strength and use your armor to be able to stand. Father, your word tells us that Satan is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And Lord, he uses our pride, he uses our blindness to our own weaknesses, to trip us up and to lure us in. And so, Father, I pray that we will be strong. I pray, Lord, that we will use your armor. Thank you so much for the body of Christ. I thank you for every believer here. Lord, I thank you for their endurance as they have endured through many difficulties and many trials, many attacks under Satan. And Lord, I pray for the believer here that might be going through a a, a difficult time in their life where they are being attacked. Lord, I pray that they will stand strong, that they won't give up, that they will look to you for strength, that they'll run to you as a strong and mighty tower, that they will trust in you and use the provided armor that you have already given them. Help us as believers to encourage one another to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Thank you so much, Jesus, for... Practical part of your salvation as it is working mightily in us. Grateful for your kindness and your love. We ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at at lifeattheridge.church.